many of you are, you know that it's, it's sung with a celebratory uh, kind of tone. We, we joyfully sing, yes, Jesus is born. It's taking on the tone of the angels who are proclaiming good news of great joy to the shepherd. So we sing with joy, yes, Jesus is born that man no more may die. And yet, uh, some of us uh, sing this, and, and then we, we have a note of, of doubt that comes into our minds because our experience tells us that, that our world is full of death. And, and even if we look at the story of the birth of Jesus, even there, death rears its ugly head. So Matthew chapter 2, the story of the Magi, the wise men, they, they come from faraway country to come and to show uh, reverence and honor to Jesus. And they first go to Herod and say, well, where's the one who's born king of the Jews, the king of your country? Of course, Herod's not very happy about this pronouncement because he's very protective of his own kingdom. And so he finds out where the child was supposed to be born in Bethlehem, and then he tells the, the Magi to come back and report to them. Go find this supposed king and, and report back to him. But the angels warn, an angel warns the, the Magi to, to avoid Herod on their return trip. And then an angel warns Joseph to take Jesus and Mary and to flee to Egypt because Herod's going to seek the child's life. And then we get the darkest part of the Christmas story, Matthew 2.16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. So yes, we sing, Jesus is born that man no more may die. And yet immediately upon his death or his life, death comes on the scene. Immediately there is murder. So, so what do we do with this? On the one hand, we could just ignore all the darkness. We could ignore the death side of it and just sing this line, born that man no more may die, with, with kind of a, an easy flippancy. But of course, that doesn't do because we live in a, in a world that's full of death. Or we could just say that Charles Wesley, the man who wrote the hymn, was simply wrong and then refused to sing it. Or we can take a deeper look at death and we can take a deeper look at Jesus and find out if this is really true. Was Jesus truly born that man no more may die? Did Jesus really come to put an end to death? As I said earlier, today is designated as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, the day when the church proclaims that God is the one who has given us life. And God, because we're made in the image of God, human life is valuable. So as we uh, proclaim the value of human life today, we, we take up this question, did Jesus really come to put an end to death? So first we're going to look at, uh, take a deeper look at death, and then we're going to take a deeper look at Jesus to try to get an answer to this question. So first let's look closer at death, the reality of death. And of course, if we're going to understand death, we have to understand life. And if you read the Bible, from the very beginning, you see that, that life is here because of God. God is the one who is the giver of life. So you look at Genesis 1 and 2, and you see that, that God is ordering all of creation, uh, ordering the entire cosmos according to his good design. And we learn in particular that human life comes from God. And so uh, Genesis 1.27 says this, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So what we see is that God creates human life special. 
We are made in the image of God. And, and so, so humans are set apart in a way from God's creation. God creates everything. He creates uh, grass and mountains and streams and hills and lakes. And, and then he creates uh, the, the living things, fish and, and, and uh, birds. And he creates reptiles and he creates cows and sheep and all sorts of things. And then humans are created in a different category. We are created in the image of God. Of God, and so we rightly uh, respect God's creation, treat it uh, with care. But but humans, human life is is extra special because we bear the image of God, and that's really the foundation for why we proclaim that human life is so valuable. Because humans are made in the image of God, and God confirms the value of human life by prohibiting one human taking the life of another. He's prohibiting murder. So shortly after the flood in Genesis 9-6, God proclaims to Noah that that there's an accounting for each human life. It says, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So God values human life, and humans are not to take the lives of others. They're not to murder other humans. And not only does God value human life, not only did he create us, but he knows us intimately. Listen to how the, the psalmist explains the, the, describes the relationship that God has uh, to his creation. This is from Psalm 139. You searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Verse 13, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Our Creator gave us life, and, and He knows us intimately. He knows us better than we know ourselves. So against any kind of mechanistic notion that God created and sort of left like some kind of absentee father is just is ridiculous. God is hands-on with His creation. He creates and He sustains. He upholds. He knows every thought before we think it, every word before we speak it. He knows this intimately. And Jesus confirms this when he says in Luke 12, 6, and 7 that, that God has the hairs on our head number. I mean, that's the level of detail that God knows every one of his human creatures that he has made. So if, if we look at the Bible, we see that life comes from God. God is the giver of life. He creates, he sustains, he watches over us with loving care. So humans are valuable because God has created us in his image. He has given us the gift of life. But the problem is, as we look around, we see that we live in a world of death. So why is that? It's, it's full of death because it's full of people who do not share God's high value on human life. We don't even get out of the first uh, chapters of Genesis before death comes on the scene, before uh, murder is present. So Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have two sons, Cain and Abel, and Cain gets really upset because he brings an offering to God, and God does not accept his offering. God warns him. He says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. 
It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And the very next verse, Genesis 4, 8. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So jealousy leads to anger. Anger leads to murder. And death has maimed God's good creation. So what we learn as we look at the Bible is that death comes from sin. So James uh, chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 is clear on this. Sin results in death. So this is what he says. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. And then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So this is the root of death. Death comes from sin. And this murderous spirit that we see in Cain pervades God's good creation. God creates humans in his image and proclaims that they are valuable and that that human life is not to be destroyed. But we don't follow his lead. We devalue human life. We destroy. We kill. And and even God's own people do this. So that a good and a godly man like like King David, who was said to walk uh, in step with God, to be a, a man after God's own heart, even a good and godly man like David, has these evil desires in his heart. So he sees a woman who is married to another man, and he wants that woman, and so he has that man killed so that he can have her. Death comes from sin. It's the same reason that there's death in the story of Jesus' birth. Herod doesn't want anyone else to take his spot. He's jealous for his spot, and so the evil desire wells up in his heart, and that breeds sin, and then sin grows up to death. And he's got this brutal murder of the infant boys of Bethlehem. So as we look at the Bible, this is what it's showing us, that life comes from God, but death comes from sin. God is the one who is the giver of life, but humans are those who are takers of life. And so Cain kills his brother Abel. David kills Uriah. Herod kills the boys of Bethlehem. And the Jewish leaders after Jesus' birth will come to kill him on a cross. Life comes from God. Death comes from sin. And it continues today. I mean, the, the reason that we have sanctity of human life Sunday is because human life is not consistently given a high value in our culture. We value some stages of life more than others. And this is shown in practice when we allow for the abuse and the neglect of the elderly and those with intellectual disabilities and those who cannot care for themselves. And we show that we devalue life in law by allowing babies to be killed every year. I mean, since Roe versus Wade was passed, uh, it had the Supreme Court decision in 1973, we've killed 50 million unborn babies. This is why it's said that, that ours is a culture of death. We live in a culture of death because we do not share God's consistent high value on human life. So God is the one who gives life. We are those who take life. Death is the result of sin. And this is true even when death is not directly the result of a human hand. Even apart from murder, death is the result of sin. So uh, Paul can tell us in Romans chapter 5 that, that sin entered, this is Romans five twelve. sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And this way death came to all people because all sinned. And then he says in verse 14 that death reigns because of that sin. Death comes from sin. So life comes from God, death comes from from sin. The reason that 
our world is a world that is full of death is because it is a sin-sick world. And it touches all of us. So on top of this, this, this heartbreak of all the babies that are killed intentionally is the heartbreak of, of all those that are lost when parents are doing everything they can to sustain life. I looked at the statistics of this, and it's, it's devastating. 2,500 babies die every year from sudden infant death syndrome. We don't really know the cause of that. 26,000 babies die being stillborn after they could have theoretically lived outside the womb. 500,000 babies are miscarried every year in the U.S., I mean, these are brutal numbers. And, and, and the reality is what you already know, that, that many of us, a high percentage of us, have had the, the devastating, terrible experience of having our child die. We live in a world of death, and it is crushing to us. It touches every one of us. What we have to understand is that the root cause of this is sin. I'm not talking about the sin of the parents or anything like that. I'm, I'm talking about the rebellion of God at the very beginning cause the poison of sin to seep into every area of life so that the truth is that right now we live in a sin-sick world where death is a constant threat to us. So we live in a world of death because of sin, and we live in a culture of death because of sin. I mean, this is the problem. So when we come to sing that Jesus is born, that man no more may die, this is what we have to answer. This is the hard reality that, that Jesus that we have to see. Did Jesus really answer this? So we've taken a look at death. Now let's take a look, a closer look at Jesus. Did he really come to put an end to death? We could look at what Herod did to the baby boys of Bethlehem and think no. We could look at the cross of Jesus Christ and being killed and think, well, maybe not. We could look around at, at our world marked by death all over the place and think, well, maybe not. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to death. Specifically, it's the death of Jesus Christ that destroys the power of sin, which is the root that caused death, and it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that destroys the power of death. So we look again at Romans 5 and see the cross destroyed the power of death. Uh, he says this in Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The reason that Jesus died on the cross is to remove the power of sin from our lives. So that whatever you've done in your past, whatever sin you're going to do in your future, that is covered and forgiven in the cross of Jesus Christ. So if death comes from sin, Jesus has destroyed the root of that for each one of us who are belong to him, who found repentance and forgiveness in him. Death, uh, sin no longer reigns over those who are in Jesus. So he's gone to the root of it and removed that by his cross. And the power of death is broken by his resurrection. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul's uh, talking to Timothy, Timothy a, a young minister of the gospel, and he reminds us, this is what Jesus has done. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, listen to what he's done, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. There's a lot going on in that passage, but let's just focus on the last few clauses there. What has Jesus done? He has destroyed death. He has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Remember, this is a past, already accomplished work of Jesus. 
Specifically, this is pointing to his, his resurrection, saying Jesus was raised from death to life. Yes, he was killed on a cross, but the third day God rose, raised him from death to life so that death no longer has any grip over Jesus. For Jesus, death has been decisively defeated forever. Death can never touch Jesus again. He was raised from the dead, resurrected Jesus. Death no longer has any power over him. That is a past accomplished reality for Jesus. And that's a future reality for those who belong to him. So look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is what Paul says there. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I was talking to someone after a a funeral uh, quite a while ago, and uh, they kind of uh, mocked me for using this in a funeral. They're saying, I mean, here you are when someone is dead, and you are saying that death is swallowed up in victory. But I want to say, no, no, but this is the answer. This doesn't mean today, but this is the future reality that answers when there's a coffin in the front of the the sanctuary. When we are mourning death, this is the, the answer that we're looking forward to, that yes, we will be raised like Jesus was. So the reality of, of resurrection is, is already in the past. It's accomplished in Jesus. Death no longer has any hold over him. And we too, who belong to him, will be raised like he was when he returns. We will get new bodies. Those who are already dead will be raised to new life. And death will never be able to touch those bodies again. And those of us who are living when Christ returns, we will be transformed. It says in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, so that our bodies too will never be able to be touched by death again. So it's the past reality of what's already true in Jesus. His resurrection shows that death has been defeated. And it's the future reality for his people saying, yes, death will be defeated for us. And when that's true, then we will be able to shout with with joy, yes, death is swallowed up in victory. No more sting. No more victory. And incredibly, this comes into the present today as well. This is what uh, Paul says the next time he writes that church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He's talking about how, how hard his own ministry is, and he's saying this, we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal bodies. So death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead, that's the past reality of, of Jesus' resurrection, he defeated death, We know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. It's the future reality that we will share in the resurrection. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Now this is where it comes to the present. Therefore, verse 16, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So Paul's been talking about how hard ministry is. He says they're, they're hard-pressed, they're perplexed, they're persecuted, they're struck down. It, it feels like they're carrying around the death of Jesus every day as they're ministering. But even as outwardly it looks like they're wasting away, inwardly, because of the resurrection, they know this is true. They're being renewed day by day. Right now, in the present, God is renewing us every day. Right in the middle of a world of death, life is at work in us. What we have to see is that the resurrection of Jesus is the answer to death. We see that the answer to sin is the cross of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that's offered to us there. Total forgiveness, that there's no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ Jesus because of the cross. And now we see that this is the answer to death as well. The resurrection of Jesus is the answer to the world of death that we live in. Look at the past. Death can't touch Jesus anymore. Look at the future. There will be a day when Jesus returns and we will get new resurrected bodies. Death will never be able to touch us again. And even in the present, we look to the resurrection in the past and in the future. And today we know that we are being renewed by the power of God today so that life is at work in us. The resurrection of Jesus is the answer to death. So in the end, the, the words of, those hymn, of that hymn prove true. Jesus truly was born that man no more may die. Jesus really does come to put an end to death. And we dare not sing those words lightly because we still are surrounded by death. We live in a culture of death and we live in a world of death. So we grieve every day. We grieve so much loss of life. But there is hope and joy on the other side of sorrow. And it comes through this realization that, that Jesus brings life. That his resurrection is the sure hope that we have. So the power of his resurrection today lies in the powerful, certain answer that it gives to living in a world of death. I mean, this is the good news, that into a world of death, Jesus comes to bring life. So how do we live in light of this? This is what Paul says at the end of that uh, argument in 2 Corinthians 4 when he says that inwardly we're being renewed every day. Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 4, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Christians are to be in our world of death voices of hope. And we're to be advocates for life. We're voices of hope, not in the sense of, of the trite kind of hope that hasn't dealt with the reality of death, that just kind of gives fluffy thinking and things like that. No, this is, this is hope on the other side of death, that's been through the hard things, that's been through suffering, that has looked death in the eye, that has mourned the loss of life, that has grieved deeply and has found that Jesus really is the answer. Outwardly, wasting away, but inwardly being renewed every day. Knowing that the, the, the troubles that we face, the things that cause us suffering and grief and, and mourning and anguish, those things are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs any of them. And so we fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who has defeated death, the one who will come again and, and make our bodies new so that he defeats death for us. And we count on him to sustain us through every trial because Jesus brings life into a world of death. We are voices of hope. We are people of hope. And this is true no matter 
where death threatens us. So if you get a diagnosis from your doctor that includes the word terminal, this is where you go. Jesus brings life into a world of death. If the joy of a pregnancy abruptly ends with death, then, then this is where you go. Jesus is the one who speaks life into a world of death. If you get a phone call that starts, well, there's been an accident. Where you go with that is to the fact that Jesus brings life into a world of death. When your own mind is, is clouded with darkness, so it seems that there's no light, there's no way out of that. This is where you come back to, that into a world of death, Jesus brings life. I mean, this is where there is hope. This is where there's solid, substantial hope. And Christians have found this to be true throughout the ages. And I pray that you too will find that this is true through the hardest things you go through. Jesus is the one who brings life. We are to be voices of hope in a world of death. And we're also to be advocates of life in a world of death and in a culture of death. So we as Christians become advocates of life. We're not pro-life only in the sense of anti-abortion. We are against abortion because we value human life from conception through the grave. But we value life in every stage of existence because life is a gift of God. Human life is, is made in the image of God. And so we are for babies in utero. We are for babies born with physical challenges. We are for the elderly. We are for those who cannot speak for themselves or care for themselves. We are for those with intellectual disabilities. We're for those with mental health issues. Because we're made in the image of God. We must be advocates of life. And so we are to be voices for human life, pro-human life in every form it takes, in every stage of existence. Because we have been created by the life-giving God, and each one of us is made in the image of God. We bear the image of God for the world to see. And so we as Christians speak the value of human life. We become advocates of life in every stage of existence, in every form it takes. Because we are children of a life-giving God, and we are called by the name of Jesus who came to put an end to death. So what we do is we, we fix our eyes on Jesus. When, when death threatens to crush us, the darkness just seems too much. We fix our eyes on Jesus and we cling to the source of life. We, we look at the resurrection of Jesus and we know that there is hope no matter how difficult things look, no matter how bad things look, no matter how much death is pressing in on us at every side. We look at the resurrection of Jesus and we know that there is hope. Jesus came to bring life into a world of death and we as Christians get to proclaim that. So we become voices of hope. We become advocates for life. And of course, this reminds some of us that, that we have not been on the side of life always. We have devalued others who have been made in the image of God. We have hurt those who are made in the image of God. We have perhaps, some of us, even killed those who are made in the image of God. If you find yourself in that position, know that Jesus is the answer for that too. 
Yes, death comes from sin, but Jesus defeated both sin and death. The cross of Jesus Christ means that there is forgiveness offered to every one of us, every one of us who have been at one point in our lives against life, where we have destroyed, where we have mocked, we have in some way maligned life or taken life. The cross of Jesus Christ offers us God's forgiveness. There is no sin that is too strong to be forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. His blood is stronger than that. His blood covers over every sin. So rather than running away and hiding in guilt and shame, we run instead to the source of healing, run to the source of forgiveness. Jesus has open arms to receive all who come to him to give his forgiveness and to give his healing. Run to Jesus and find out how true that it is that Jesus really does bring life. Now, as we respond to God's word today, I'm going to ask you to join me in a prayer of uh, repentance immediately after the sermon here. Because God is pro-life consistently. He values all human life across the board in every stage. But, but you and I haven't always been there. We, we have failed in many respects to uphold the value of life. And so we want to confess that as, as a, a corporate body here, to confess the ways that we have failed in that, and also to pray for God's healing and forgiveness. And then after we uh, pray a prayer of repentance, we're going to sing of our need for God. And then, and then I'm going to have a chance for us to, to offer prayers of healing for those who have been uh, suffering through uh, loss and through death. I want to give a chance to, to uh, speak God's healing and to pray for God's healing for our body here. And then we're going to come to Lord's table and celebrate the fact that the death and resurrection means that there is sure hope that nothing can shake. So would you please uh, join me in in praying to confess our own uh, guilt in this and to ask that God would make us people who are advocates of life. Please pray with me. God, we hear in your word that, that you created us, humans, in your image. And we hear in Psalm 139, of your intimate knowledge of us and, and your, your fatherly care for us. And we're overwhelmed that, that you, the, the creator of all things, the one who is infinitely above us in, in all qualities and all categories, you would stoop down and, and love us. And we see that human life is valuable because we are made in your image and because you love us. And God, when, when we realize that, we're overwhelmed. But then when we look at our own lives and our own world, we realize that, that we humans devalue human life. We don't treat other humans as image bearers. We treat them sometimes as nuisances, sometimes as obstacles, sometimes as trash. Father, I pray that you would forgive your people. Some of us have degraded other humans. Some of us have done a great deal of damage and hurt to other humans. Some of us have even killed other humans. God, I pray that you would have mercy. I pray that you would forgive us by the blood of Jesus. Your word says that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. Yes, we are sinful people. We have not consistently upheld your high value on human life. Father, we take a moment 
in silence to individually confess our guilt before you. And God, for all of the sin that we have done, all of the sin in our heart, all of the ways that we've acted out that sin in harm of others, we thank you for the hope of the gospel. Because after you say that if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is in us. After that, you say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So God, again, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for sending Jesus to deal with the root issue of our world of death, to deal with the sin in our hearts and the hearts of our brothers and sisters around the world. We come again to the cross and ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you for the assurance that you give it freely. For those who belong to Jesus, who have put their faith in him, there is now no condemnation. What an incredible act of grace on your behalf. Thank you, Father. So we come to you in great need and we thank you for your overwhelming great grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.